Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Dedman, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. See, that was too slow. You can you can pick it up a little. We lost half our part, half our viewership. <laughs> During the, the never, length. Never let it be said that I can't take notes. That's true. I'm, I'm going to bring a monotone in here. Metronome. Whatever that is. <laughs> Metronome in here. Just No, monotone <laughs> is what my intro yeah. was this week. That's <laughs> so what this week's intro was, is monotone. I'm just saying, let it be known that I'm willing to take criticism where it's due, <laughs> but be, be fully forewarned that I am going to take it to the extreme whenever you, given the opportunity. Yeah, the, the overcorrection. There's a lot of that goes on in our world. There is, but... We don't get enough of the comedic overcorrection. Right. There's a very big difference between, oh, I've got the sniffles, let's shut down the economy. And. <laughs> sure. And the. What I. Yeah, pe- just for people, comedic value. People doing it on purpose, ironically, for comedic value. There's That was what the Marx Brothers did so well, and, and the Stooges as well. Yeah, and, you know, there's nothing worse than when you're listening to a podcast. You know, I, I listen to Corolla every day. I love the Adam Corolla show, but they have a tendency to milk a joke about a minute and a half longer than they should. See, I, that's one of the reasons I stopped watching Family Guy is because they were the king of taking a joke so far that it wasn't funny anymore and then continuing to push it in hopes that you would milk, it would Hoping come back it would, around right. to being funny. And oftentimes they got it right. But, God, I just don't have the tolerance for it. Now, the time in the middle, I mean, I'm, my day and my week is going to be a monument <laughs> to wasted time because I'm doing... Um, continuing education for my real estate, but here's the thing, and this is the this is the facts of life. This is something everybody should understand. I'm taking the cheapest road possible to get my continuing education hours done because I don't need to take a more expensive road. I have knowledge, and I'll, I would hate to think that somebody that needs this knowledge is depending on this course I'm taking for it. <laughs> And all, and, and we we talked about it before the show. We grumbled about people not knowing how to use Zoom. But is there? Do you really get that much more quality out of a higher cost? Oh, definitely. Okay, definitely. If I went to one of the, you know, I'm paying forty five dollars for sixteen hours worth of knowledge. If I went to one <laughs> of the, that's way less than minimum wage. Yeah. If I went to one of the ones that was sixty dollars an hour, I would obviously get quite a bit more, and I'm pre- I'm fully prepared to accept that. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and if the day comes, I feel that I need the $60 an hour courses, I'll do them too. But the, the problem with anything that's any regulated industry like that, where you end up with, with CEs, is that when as soon as they become mandated, they lose their value. Right. Their quality drops dramatically because they've got a captive audience. They have no competition. Well, and, and so, you know, whereas you would love to sign up for a class where you actually gain some actual knowledge, what these are intended to do is put your butt in the seat for the allotted amount of time, and who really cares if you actually well, get something out of it or not? And I say we give up the pretense. Okay, you may... Pay this, pay $45 and have to sit through all the classes. Or since this is just a cash grab for us anyway, 
pay a hundred and you don't have to sit through the classes and we'll give you the credit. Yeah. And well, I mean, just give up the ghost. And, and I think, I think what they're really hoping is what is it? 14 hours, 16, 16 hours. They're hoping you absorb about 30 minutes. Well, I can tell you, I spent six hours doing it today, and I did not capture one moment yeah. of useful information. So, but I think that's what they're. I think they're, it's a numbers game for them. They do want you to stay apprised of changes in the legislature and the regulation, but they, but they're not expecting you to absorb all of that information, well, or they would test you afterwards. That's also what I'm paying a broker for. True. The bro. Now, if I was my own broker. Be a different ball game. True, but being as I have a broker that I'm paying anyway, that's their job. Yeah, you keep me safe. That's yeah. why you're getting commissions and not doing anything for it. Right. That's why you're that's that's your job. That's why you get your cut. But anyway, let's move on to cigars. All right. We got an interesting cigar today. So throughout history, I'm sure you've heard this happen in this shop and many others. People say, "Well, what do you think about Davidoff?" I say, "I don't like Davidoff. They seem to be they don't seem to have flavor enough for me." And inarguably, everybody will say, the get Nicaraguan. the Nicaraguan. Mm-hmm. And just inevitably, that's what's going to be said. So I admire our listener, Alex, for putting his money where his mouth is and sending me one. All right. And to me, that, that speaks well of a human being that he didn't just say, go out and pony up 20 bucks for a Nicaraguan. He sent me one so that I could actually have the experience. Yeah. And I'll let this be a lesson to anyone suggesting to me, <laughs> you should try this. Just go ahead and send one, you know, mail one in, and That's I'll be right. happy to smoke it on the show and be, give you a real opinion. Be willing to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, so like this it. is the Davidoff Nicaraguan. It's Nicaraguan binder, filler, um, wrappers, Nicaraguan, Nicaraguan Puro, made in the Dominican Republic in the Davidoff factory. Um, this one I got back at Christmas. And I've had it by humidor, being sure, because I wanted to give this the most fair viewpoint possible. So mm-hmm. it has been in my humidor, in the prime swat. And take, take a look at the hue on that wrapper. Is that thing not perfectly humidified? It is. And I, now watch when I cut it, it's going to blow up like a oh, wily coyote stick of dynamite. Of course. But it look, I feel that I could not have handled my end of this deal any better by preserving this cigar and smoking no cigar before it's time. And this today is this cigar's time. So I'm mm-hmm. giving them full chance. I could not be more gregarious than what I'm being right now <laughs> or modest. I've got to say, I do like the Davidoff Nicaraguan. I don't think it's the most flavorful one. It's definitely up there. What is it? And, but I wonder what it says about Nicaraguan cigars that, I mean, like that Gurkha you smoked three weeks ago. You know, that it was a, it's the same thing. Um, that, that says a lot about Nicaraguan tobacco and manufacturers that the go-to is just, oh, Nicaraguan. If you're not getting enough out of this, go to Nicaragua. So it's interesting. On the cold draw, I'm getting a lot of sweet, that sweet taste out of the tobacco. It's, I'm not getting any of that harshness. I'm not catching a lot of complexity on the cold draw, but you shouldn't. You should right. have to light the cigar yeah. for it to actually have that. Otherwise, so, you just you just cold draw it all day. Right. Uh, what would be the purpose of lighting it? Yeah, <laughs> and it just gets so sloppy that eventually you'd be biting the end off. And just when you chewed it all the way to the end, I have a builder that does that. When you chewed it all I the have way to the end, done that before. Oh, uh, not me. Not not you know. It was, so back in the day when I worked in the film industry a little bit, you're on set all day. Especially if it's a live set, you can't be, even if it's outside, you can't smoke because the smoke may influence and get in the shot. So if you want that little bit of a 
kind of a kick. You just sit there and chew on a cigar all day, and then at the end of photography that day, then you get to light it up. But by that point, you have to cut about half of the cigar off because it's so mushed up that you couldn't draw through it anyway. Just interesting. So, um, my so yeah, I I don't know if you're gonna like that or not, but that's definitely the most likely of a Davidoff you are like. Um, if you don't like that. Um, I've got another one to, to give a, a try for. So so you'll have to go buy. I will. Okay. I, no, I will, I will happily. <laughs> These are the rules. <laughs> no, I, I will happily put my money because because I agree. I'm not a huge Davidoff fan. Um, they've done, you know, I really like the Xeno Platinum series, which they haven't done in a few years. Um, and I really like one that was put in my hand about a year ago. And so, and I'm not going to jump the gun. So I'll, I'll save that until I decide if I have to pony up the money for it or not. But anyway, so I'm smoking something a little unique this week as well. Completely different side of the spectrum. This cigar was under $8. But um, we're going to talk about crowned heads a little bit later in the show, uh, time permitting. I have been threatening to smoke this cigar on the show for months, and it's the Juarez. It's made in the Tabacalera Pachardo factory down in Nicaragua. We've had the guys from Pachardo on the show. Um, so I think very highly of the type of cigar that they can produce. Everyone knows I'm a huge Crowned Heads fan as well. So this really shouldn't fail. You're not a fan of this cigar. Yeah, I wonder if your delay smoking it, it has something to do with the fact that I've I've just canned it well, religiously. It also has the fact to do with this is one that I was committed to smoking for the first time on the show. I have never had one of these. Um, and so we kept getting into a rhythm where you were bringing a cigar. So it, you are trainable. I finally trained you to, to save it till you got to the show. Well, and I don't always do that. I, I, there were a couple of, of cigars a couple of weeks ago that I got my hands on that I was probably supposed to uh, save for the show, but I couldn't. So, uh, but this is one that I just, I, you know, I, I knew that this was going to be... I, Part, part of it comes from your review of it. Part of it comes from the fact that, um, you know, we just had listeners sending us in cigars, and we had you sending me cigars and things like that. So, But I finally have a week where I'm going to get to smoke the Juarez, and I'm actually <laughs> looking forward to it. Folks, it's the first week in weeks he's had to buy his own cigar, and he chooses the cheapest one in the humidor. This tells you everything you need to know about Trey. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to... Uh, nope. No, I'll, that's fine. I'll, I'll wear that mantle. That's so what are you expecting from the Juarez? Well, so it's got a San Andreas wrapper over Ecuadorian Sumatra binder and Dominican and Nicaraguan fillers. So um, I'm expecting something in the medium to medium plus range. I'm not expecting a whole lot of bite out of this. I'm not expecting a whole lot of smoothness. Neither Ecuadorian Sumatra nor San Andreas are really known for being particularly smooth. They both have very unique flavors, and I'd, I'm really interested to see how they play together. Um, Crown, when Crown Heads uses San Andreas, they use San Andreas, yeah, and Crown- it comes through strong. So I'm really expecting a San Andreas heavy, heavy flavor. Yeah, Crown Heads buys a higher, um, higher content San Andreas. Their San Andreas is a little more vicious. Although just on the on the cold draw, I didn't find. Um, usually, you get a lot of San Andreas. Right. Yeah, because you're it's the wrapper. You're mm-hmm. touching the wrapper with your lips, and it's not. It's kind of mellow. 
just on the yeah. And uh, well, I seen someone purchasing a box of them last week and chastised them roundly for it. So we'll see how that how this actually shakes out for you. The best one in the world is the one you like the most. That's right. The be- whatever cigar you want to smoke. And also, while you light that up, I'm going to go ahead and jump into our first article because it's the big news in the cigar world. Um, pulled that article from Aficionado. PCA cancels the premium cigar, the trade show, due to coronavirus. We all saw this coming a million miles away. Is the coronavirus the best thing in the world for PCA this year? Probably is. They are probably winner. This is like if you're a politician and you happen to kill your mistress, now would be the best time to be found out because nobody would care. PCA has kind of benefited from the timing of this. 2020 was going to be a disaster. It was going to be an absolute disaster with some of your major players not even showing up, which means a loss of revenue. Um, you know, it's, it, their decision to, to cancel the show this year was a good one. It was a very smart one. Well, and it, like, I'm like you. I think I think PCA definitely gives winner of coronavirus. They really they really got lucky with this. And also, Scott Pierce, executive director of PCA, told Aficionado that he believed this was the first time the show had been canceled <laughs> since the organization was formed in 1933. And uh, and how the first show was held in 1934 when the trade group was the Retail Tobacco Dealers of America. And uh, so even during the throes of war, they still had the show. Right. And uh, and after much deliberation, discussion, yada, 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 anyway, they canceled it. And uh, But I want to jump... But that's from, not what you care about. You like the half-wheel article. Right. So I'm moving from that to the half-wheel article, because I feel like that's the company line. I feel like Aficionado published the, the 100% company line on that, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's their job. That's their job. That's their, they're reporting the news. They did not have to add any commentary to it. But Half Wheel added commentary. And I will say, as much flack as we've given Charlie Minato in Half Wheel recently, this I, I think he hit it on the head of this 12 thoughts into PCA. I think he did too. But I've got it does raise the question, and I don't remember if I said it on the air last week when we were talking about it or, or, if, or if we just talked about it off the air, but... When he released his whole virtue signaling post about how he wasn't going to, if if it did go off, Half Wheel wasn't going to be there because he cared too much about the health of his employees. Um, the, whole, the whole time I'm reading that article, I'm going, why are you even bothering? Because we all know it's not going to happen. I've, I've known for a month that, P, that the PCA show wasn't going to happen. I was just waiting yeah. for it to become official. So I, I do still give him flack for coming out a couple of weeks ago and, and, and being all, all pious about how he wasn't going to send his company when we all knew this was coming. Well, so his number, he has 12 reasons. We're not going to hit all 12, but I am going to hit the high points. His number one reason was 2020 was already a disaster. We've kind of covered that. Yeah. PCA is a is a dying it, you know uh, they're they're dying pretty quick they tried to bring in cigar con which was going to be the the consumer day which was going to be a complete disaster so they eventually scrapped that but between the major retailers falling out um the um where did it go 
Oh, and just the the rebranding associated with and all the and all the cost associated with that on top of the amount of money that they have spent fighting legislation this year, it was just already setting up to not be a great year. Well, and um, as number two said, there were more problems under the surface. When the big four pulled out of the show, it was pretty well known <clears throat> that the retailers and the manufacturers were not happy with the job PCA was doing representing them. Yeah. And all. and that's that's a big part of it. Now, this gives PCA a chance to step back and write that ship, but I don't think they're going. I've, I've been part of too many of these times when an organization starts to function for the organization rather than for its members. And all. I, I bet they doubled down, if anything. Yeah. And all. Um, said the trade show was still going to be quite profitable for PCA. And they broke down the revenue and all that, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go too deep into that. And all, yeah, it's it's going to be profitable. And that's also from ni- uh, from 2018 as well. So that's that's uh, data from a while ago. The trade show is not a good product. Yes, that's that's Th- true. That's it. That, that that that's all you really need to say. I've I've not heard any retailers that went to the show in the past three years and came back and said, oh, great show, everybody did great, yeah. everybody, all this. The, I've heard nobody come back from that excited. The best thing I've heard from a real from a realtor from a retailer coming back from the show is it actually wasn't that bad, as if that as if that's a sh- the shock. The expectation is that it's going to suck, and then when it doesn't, they're pleasantly surprised. Right. That's not that's not the sign of a good strong product. If it wasn't in Vegas, they would have very little chance. Yeah, you notice they haven't been in New Orleans in a few years. Yeah. Yeah, if they couldn't get people to go to Vegas anyway. Yeah. You know, they're not going to have this in Hoboken. The the dinners and the after parties and the events are basically all gone from what they were 10 years ago. Um, the retailers aren't showing up. The manufacturers have started to have to give their um, their specials early just to keep people interested. It's, you know, retailers, especially with everything that's going on in, in the FDA right now, retailers can't afford to possibly hire somebody and to take the time out of the shop to um, to take their energy away from their shop for long enough to get down there. The flight, the room, the food. It's expensive for a retailer, and if they don't feel like they're going to get something out of it, they're not going to go. Well, not to mention, you know, the whole philosophy of trying to order from 12 different providers in three days span, that's just too many cigars to smoke and retain a palate that's going to be sufficient to make good judgment. I mean, that's just too many cigars to smoke. What do you do, smoke two inches, throw it away, and then yeah. go to the next guy? And all. Number six, if the CRA were to drop its support, the trade show dies. Oh, you skipped over number five. That was one that I thought was, was really interesting. The biggest risk for the PCA is the fact that, you know, we're sitting here talking about the fact that the PCA is pretty much dead. They're, they're clearly an antiquated um, product. And, and company that's now serving just to keep itself alive more than it's serving the interest of its uh, of its members. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a chance for the retailers and the manufacturers to see what it's like to live in a world without you. Yeah. Yeah. And when they don't miss a beat. Yeah. 
And when and when people look around this time next year and go, you know what, we missed. There wasn't a show last year, and nobody cared. Right. That's that's going to be the nail in the coffin. So if the CRA were to drop its support, the trade shows to die, which makes sense. If Cigar Rights of America says, okay, we can do just as good a job fighting legislations without the PCA, then the trade show dies. Yeah. And uh, because the cigar manufacturers, CRA, promotes um, largely funded by Alec Bradley, Fuente, Ashton, Newman, Florida Minicana, My Father, Oliva, Padron, Rocky Patel, and Tatawahe. And uh, they're largely doing the funding for Cigar Rights America. And those were the people that came out the most vehemently to support the trade show before all the corona stuff. Right. And uh, um, I'm just jumping. Why it took so long to cancel? Now, this is an interesting angle. When do you think they realized they were not actually going to have a show? Okay, you know what? I'm actually not going to fault PCA for this one. As somebody who has had to cancel a very significant special event as a result of coronavirus, I can tell you, it's not as easy as you might think. Because this is an unprecedented event, and most events like this have event insurance, which comes with cancellation insurance. We were talking about business interruption last week off the air. Um, This is one where certain criteria have to be met in order for coverage to be intact. In, in, in so what happens in this scenario is it it's not just enough for you to cancel the show because of fears. Your insurance doesn't kick in. And as we saw a couple of points ago, this event is worth about $3 million. So rather than be out that money, they have to wait until either the state of Nevada, the city of Las Vegas, or the individual hotel either breaks the contract or forces them to. And so this part of it isn't really their fault. This is them ensuring that their contracts are upheld on their end um, so that they get recouped because being this close to the event of the $120 million that it probably cost to put this on, they've probably spent about 100 of that. And they've got to make sure they can recoup those costs. So we blame it on the shysters from the insurance company, no. as usual. No, it's 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 nobody's fault. This is a this is an unprecedented event, but everyone's taking their time to make sure that their butts are covered, and that they're not out money needlessly. Because in in addition, most of the like the Venetian and probably um, any of the other vendors and the and the unions that do all the setup work probably as well um, are all trying to figure out. At, to what extent they can leverage their deposits and and moving things to future dates so that someone, because someone's going to end up losing money on this. Sure. And they're all trying to figure out who it is and make sure it's not them. Right. Um, number 10, I'm skipping nine. Number 10, the problem with CigarCon was not the event. And I agree with that. I still think a PCA-type show where consumers could go be exposed to new product would sell and sell well. So when I was managing a sales team, I had about, at one point I had about 12 agents working for me, half of whom were somewhat veteran, half of whom were all less than three months in the position. And so our sales were tanking a little bit. And I promise this is going somewhere. 
And so I decide that we are going to sort of enact a, a script. Not something that's really desperately mandated of everybody, but something that can serve as a training tool for new agents until they kind of figure out how to talk on, about the products they're selling and to give everyone just kind of a, a basic guideline. That way, everyone's using the same information. The mistake I made was rolling it out as, here's what we're doing, versus getting everyone's input, finding out how they would change it. And, and, and instead of getting input, input, taking that input and coming out with a product that everyone feels like they have a stake in, it looks like I solved a problem and decided I'm going to fix it, and it's up to you guys to, to use this piece. That's exactly what CigarCon was. They didn't listen to the manufacturers or the retailers about what the issues were. They just put lipstick on a pig and said, here, this will fix it. Yeah, that was one of the, that was where they goofed up. And that's, but that's kind of been the standard practice for PCA, which is why they're in the shape they're in. They don't listen to manufacturers. They just start just, you know, spitting stuff out there and slinging them against the wall, yeah. seeing what's going to stick. So, yeah, I still think the Cigar Con could have worked, but I think the way PCA presented it was so distasteful for the manufacturers, they weren't going to be, they weren't going to accept it manufacturers saying X is a problem so we need to do Y and uh, PCA comes out and says well how about purple I mean it's just so out of left field that it's not even and his last point is about how to fix the PCA and it, I think I think he could have skipped the rest of this paragraph and just went the first line of this paragraph the leadership of PCA has to change there's no way that they are going to exist and continue to exist under the model they're in. Right. And uh, all they're going to do is continue to be a leech on the cigar business's resources, and the cigar business ain't going to put up with it. You know, I, there's very few dumb people in the cigar business. Mm-hmm. Very few unintelligent people don't d- run cigar companies. Yeah. And uh, by and large, these are men, and most of the time, I think it comes from most of the time, a cigar business is, I did X my whole life, and then I decided I wanted to start a cigar business. And uh, so you're dealing with people that have already experienced a degree of success, so they know what they need to do to replicate that. Right. So, but I thought that was interesting. I'm not going to talk a whole lot more about that. I feel like we filled half a show with that. We, we <laughs> Pretty effectively did. did. Yeah. And uh, but let's step away for one under eight. And then when we get back, I want to know about the Juarez. All right. We'll be back with that and more after this. This episode of the Cigar Cast is brought to you by Vic Insurance. Vic Insurance is a second-generation independent insurance agent committed to serving Tennesseans for over 20 years. They represent a dozen of the most competitive carriers to guarantee you're getting the best possible coverage and rates available. Are you one of the thousands of Americans who doesn't realize that you don't have to wait until renewal to shop your insurance? Auto rates are at an all-time low right now, and it's never been a better time to save money anywhere we can. Let the team at Vic Insurance do the shopping for you so you can spend more time with your cigars and family. Well, not necessarily in that order. Give their team a call at 
488-0731 today for your free, no-hassle quote, or visit vicinsurancegroup.com. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane. Sitting across from the air to the honk if you're horny bumper sticker fortune, Mr. Trey Dedman. Do you think anyone's ever actually made a fortune on a bumper sticker? If anybody did, to me, if you look at the bumper sticker Hall of Fame, honk if you're horny has to be number one. I don't know. I think the one that I sent you is number one. Nobody rides for free? Yeah. Well, here's the problem. Oh, so you can say honk if you're horny, but I can't say gas, grass, or ass? Is that Were you you censoring my bumper sticker? No, you can, (laughs) but you kind of indicated that you didn't want to say that by not using the full title of it. But here's the problem. Honk if you're horny, very simple, very elegant, involves, you know, uh, audience participation. It really is has, great during rush hour. <laughs> has, has a great opener. I mean, honk if you're horny really embodies all of the good things in bumper stickers, both of them. And all. the other one requires a lot of reading and is kind of challenging to you. You know, it is kind of challenging. So I'm, I'm, I really think honk if you're horny wins that competition. I'll, I'll give you that one. But, you know, this is so this is an interesting thing. I was trying to think today, and I texted you earlier about cigar bumper stickers. If we were going to make a Was line, that just today? It was oh just today. Oh, my gosh. If we were going to make a line of bumper stickers representing cigars, what would they be? I've got a couple. I hope you've taken the time to jot down a couple. Okay. My first one, my other cigar is a Padron. See, I... I hate the my other car is, my other ride is. Those are so, why not just say I like? That's all you're saying. You should say, I, I like Padron. I, I like Doctor Who. I like the Anaheim Angels. Sure. I, whatever it is. Well, it's, it's the subtlety. Again, short to the point, much easier. Very easy to manage. What have you got? For a cigar-related bumper sticker? Yeah. I think you just have... A cigar right on the the bottom part of your back bumper, so that when it's really cold and your tailpipe is uh, have, has all that condensation coming out of it, it looks like the cigar is actually smoking. Well, why not just smoke the paint the tailpipe to look like a cigar? Well, that works too, and except the- that laws typically dictate how much of a tailpipe can be showing, so you may not actually get the full effect that way. There's a great joke about that though, that I needed to, involving a Catholic and a Jewish priest and a Cadillac. I'll tell you it after the show. But anyway, um, my next one, if you're out of Africa, you're out of cigars. I said this earlier this week. I ran out of Africa, and I felt like I was out of cigars. And I, I, I've totally needed my Africa cigar. You and, seem like the kind of person to me, though, that would sooner shave your own head than put a bumper sticker on your car. Oh, hey, it's the same reason I don't get tattoos. You don't put bumper stickers on a Ferrari, baby. <laughs> at all. I mean, it's, it's the same principle. Yeah, but you can put them all over that little Honda you've got out there. <laughs> Sometimes I might need it to hold the tailgate on. Yeah. And uh, my, the, another one I'd come up with, Gurkha. If government made a cigar, this is what it would taste like. See, you know, we, we get it, Shane. We get it. You don't like Gurkha. That, you know, we're... We're good. I don't, I don't need a bumper you sticker. Don't need, to, no. It, I, well, but you see that what's beautiful about that one? It it holds both my hate for Gurkha and the government. I get to get two of my hatreds out in one sentence. That's that's awful hard not to enjoy. That's fair enough. 
and I'll um, also, and I'll. It costs more to smoke an ogre, but you're worth it. <laughs> and I'll. We could we could do a whole bit on was this said in a porno or in a in a cigar shop. <laughs> And all, and, but I, I can't get you to write bumper stickers, so I don't know if I'm going to get you to write porno lines. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. I mean, how many times have I come out of the shop and they, out of the humidor and somebody said, look at the size of that thing? <laughs> you know, it, it could be. Usually when I've got the, again, the jackhammer, which could be said in a porno or in a cigar shop. And I'll, of course, Dominican DNA, totally GMO cigars. I, the amount of energy and effort that you put into this bit is cracking me up right now. I don't think you have ever put so much into one. Like, I can just imagine you sitting in your office this morning laughing your butt off at yourself. I, I was having a good time with it. I will be honest. I was really having a good time with it. Is, it. it is really coming through. And, and I called my brother and did a quick run through of some of my bumper stickers. I'm really disappointed in you that all you've come up with is a little bit of paint. And actually, I do have one of the only cigar bumper stickers made. I actually have a cigar bumper sticker that says "Got Braganca." Huh. That, all. Now I, that one I would do, even I though didn't, it's, I didn't put it on my truck. I put it in my humidor. But I got it in one of the freebie packs of stuff that I get, and all. So it says got Braganka. But see, so you've actually I backed in, so you can't see. I'm actually a fan of bumper stickers. I've got about five bumper stickers on my car. If you have the coexist bumper sticker, I have to shut the show down. No, I don't. Okay, good. I hate to have to shut the show down. No, for... but I've got a couple of triathlon-related ones. I've got some um, some regional affectations. I'm a big fan of the bumper sticker, but to me it has to be either clever or simple. It just has to, to the point... It has to be simple. Yeah. And so the worst bumper stickers invented, the Coexist bumper sticker gets number one, not because it's a bad bumper sticker, but because of the type of people that slap it on the back of their car. What? Number two is my kid beat up your honor student. Is that really something to be proud of? Yeah, the... Follow. Super aggressive. Like, that's one of the, like, I don't like the, um, I definitely don't like the stick figure family all over the back of the car. But worse than that is the super aggressive airplane, like, shooting the stick figure oh, family. Oh, yeah, the Tyrannosaurus eating half of yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or the 0.0. Because they're so jealous that other people can run half marathons that they have to act like they're superior by not doing it. Yeah, well, I, I just had that thought about cigar bumper stickers. But I, like I said, I think if we looked in the parking lot, your car is the only one with a bumper sticker. Most, most cigar aficionados are not going to be bumper sticker people. And I'm fine with that. I also uh, have a rock in my front grill that I've given a name to, and I guarantee you I'm the only person. Why do you have a rock in your front grill? So, this is... This what is did you r- name it? This is... Balboa? Dwayne. Dwayne. Okay. Well, I can go with that. Um, so, about two months ago, I noticed that I had a rock stuck in the lower grill on the front of my car. I have been through the car wash twice, and I go to one of those real deal car washes with the spinny brushes and the vortex, to, and it's still hanging on. I've got... That thing has been... 5,000 miles with me at this point, it deserves its name. 
That's because it's buried in your radiator and just hadn't started leaking no, it's, yet. It's fine in the it, it no everything's fine. It's completely superficial, um, but I was going to be really sad if it if it fell out. And so far, it's holding strong. And I'm probably the only person who has a named rock. Um, well, I, I got a panicked call from my wife one day about a dead bird in the grill of her car, and I was like. 20 miles away. I'm like, what am I going to do about a dead bird in your car right now? Drive. <laughs> it'll fall out. <laughs> what were you doing running over birds? <laughs> but anyway, all right, let's talk about the Davidoff Nicaragua. All right. About halfway through it. It's good. Um, definitely is the better of the Davidoffs. Probably the best Davidoff I've ever had, which puts it, you know, still low on the ranking of cigars overall. That sweetness kind of comes through. The flavor kind of comes through. It's not very complex. Um, it's not something that I would buy for myself. And I don't think I would turn down smoking it, but I'm not going to rush up and tell Austin, hey, you need to get the Davidoff Nicaraguans in because I'm, they're just not... It's not amazing, but it's not bad. It's, it's, it's a little better than good, not great, but not much. Mine's kind of the same. It's... You know, I love Ecuadorian Sumatra. I love San Andreas. I was expecting a little bit more from both. And it's just sort of, I would go to say this is, this is dead, dead down the middle of the road medium. Is the, now, the Juarez is a medium filler cigar, is it not? Uh, I don't know if it is or not. Pretty sure it's Crownhead's medium filler offering that they, they're what they, when they threw their hat in the ring for medium filler cigars. It very well could be. Yeah, and all, and it so probably can't expect it to be as good as a waltz or some other things like that. And all. So, speaking of crown heads, you want to hit this article real quick? Mm-hmm. And also, we do articles from all over the world, and it's nice every now and then to catch one from Nashville, Main Street, Nashville, right out in our own backyard. Nashville-based Crownhead cigars sets royal standard for stogie lovers. Um. I didn't get a lot out of this article, but I do like that they're mentioning crowned heads, that they're they're talking about them. And, you know, yes, I toss a lot of hate crowned heads way as far as their cigars go, but I don't want to. I really wish I loved their stuff. Yeah. If there's a company that I really wished that everything they made I loved, it would be crowned heads because I like the, the corporate culture. I like the locality of it. Um, their marketing is nice. They do a good job making their marketing not too overwhelming. Right. Um, I really wish I liked their cigars better. You know, we've talked about this a little bit. This year, you know, two years ago, I couldn't say anything on this show without also saying something good about Crowned Heads. This year so far, it they really haven't blown me away. I. I really love what they're doing. I love that they're local to, you know, our fair city. I just I just want to see them innovate like they were two years ago again. Is it the fact that, is it kind of the Drew Estate thing that so many other cigar companies, you know, Tatuaje, Miami Cigar, JFR, Casa Fernandez, have taken such huge strides forward in the past couple of years, and Drew Estates has kind of stagnated. I feel like Crown Heads has kind of stagnated. Is that it, or the, am I give, judging them unfairly? Where are we at? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they got... 
they got they got too good, and I think they settled a little bit. You think they rested upon their laurels? I do. Yeah, I, th- I think there's some of that because it seems like they don't have the the same fire that they are, they used to have. Right. And uh, but a nice article about them in there. It said one of only two cigar manufacturers in Nashville is the other principal. Yeah. And, I, and I've never been impressed by principal cigars. No, I haven't either. And uh, I, I, I don't really, wouldn't really consider them a manufacturer, especially to the volume of what a crowned heads does. I don't consider those two in the same class. No, completely agree. The other article I want to cover is in Things That Matter from the From Tribune Files, Things That Matter in Lacrosse County History Series. Um, it talks about the Pride of Lacrosse cigar box was made between 1898 and 1907 by Tisch Brothers. And really, all I got from this article was cigar boxes were required by law in the Internal Revenue Act of 1864. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that led me to another article. And because uh, let's talk about box cigar boxes for a minute. Do you feel a little cheated if you buy a bundle of cigars versus a box? I do. I do. I like the box. I like the presentation. I like that I, if it's a particularly nice box, I can set it on my shelf or on my, you know, on my bookshelf and kind of display it proudly. I, I, I like the way it holds everything so perfectly because it was designed for that, you know, and the, the artistry that goes into it. I do like a good cigar box. I, I like the cigar box that they were required to make them, and they chose to do it well. Yes. You know, it's nice when, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. If you're required to do something, so often it falls by the wayside. Right. And all, but they were required to put cigars in boxes, and they decided to do it well in addition to that. So from Cigar Advisor, five things you need to know about cigar boxes by John Puyo. And all, this is from back in 2015. And all, but I liked it. The first cigar boxes made by H. Upman. And uh, they um, they didn't have. It's interesting. The H. Upman was the first ones to package their cigars in box, but they weren't Upman cigars. I find that really interesting. Um, so basically, and, and, and I, do you know the story of the Upmans? Upmans about how uh, being so it was basically they were German bankers, and so about seven years ago when H. Upman came out with the Banker series, it was kind of tied to their heritage a little bit. Um, so, um, they were in Cuba and basically decided to start sending cigars to factories. And and basically it was, it was kind of a marketing thing. Well, number two is interesting. Cigar boxes were mandated by American law in 1863. This is how you got here to begin with. But it doesn't say, there's really no reason other than some bureaucrat said, I want cigars in boxes. It's good There's to really know, no practical reason. It's good to know that some things never change. Yeah, I mean, uh, for something that was just basically pulled out of a you know thin air, they did good with it. But I'm I don't understand. So, could they not have put up a pretense? We want cigars preserved. We want to control how cigars are sold. We want to regulate tobacco. I mean, could they not come up with something other than you need to put them in boxes because we told you to? Well, so it it does mention that there were other guidelines in terms of how they were made, packaged, and sold. Um, so the 1800s were rife with inventions. 
And anytime you have a period of time with huge technological innovation, you usually have a legislative or regulatory body that lags far behind. So my guess is, as cigars were rising in popularity, the government looks around and they go, wait a minute, we're not getting a piece of this. And so it was completely unregulated, and they said, all right, we've got to, we've got to throw our weight around a little bit. Well, I'm, I read this, and I take a little more charitable view. My charitable view is, okay, you can learn to roll a cigar. And America has always been famous for the ability to grow tobacco. So there were so many people trying to make their own cigar that they said, fine, you want to make your own cigar, you got to make a box too. Yeah. And that changed the profitability on it to such a degree to eliminate some of the competition to where, why would I make my own boxes and roll my own cigars when I can just order a box of Padrones? Mm, fair enough. So I, I think there's some of that. I think this was a, almost a good problem-solving measure so that guys didn't walk in and get inferior-grade cigars that were just hand-rolled at their local shop. They said, okay, we want a certain standard for cigars. The simplest thing to do is make them put them in boxes. Yeah, and interestingly, at the time, the rules were that it had to be either wood or glass. And I assume, like, steins, like we see now, being ceramic technically counts as glass. Um, I would love to see an actual glass cigar box, though. I think that would be so neat. I believe the hammer and sickle used to come in one. It was granite. Oh, it was granite. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I knew it came in a specialty it box. Was, it was, yeah, it was mineral. Um, but in only 15 years after that, uh, by 17, by 1878, they they allowed novelty packaging such as plastic, cardboard, metal, brass, ceramics, leather. But again, by yeah. then the cigar manufacturer had, had a chance to get a foothold, right? And actually, actually do something, and you know, kind of. It, it kind of whittled down the market so that only the best were able to continue, which I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, number three, they make good musical instruments. Okay. We've covered cigar box guitars. We have. In plenty. Now, this is interesting. Cuban cigar boxes have secret codes. And I'll, um, I, I don't like the term secret codes. They could have just said ha- are encoded. Because how secret is the code if they publish it? Well... And also, isn't a code by definition a secret code? Otherwise, they would just, it wouldn't be a code. Yeah, otherwise, it's just text. Yeah, exactly. It's just fiction or (laughs) nonfiction. In some cigar boxes, it's definitely fiction. Uh, You know, but I really like this because to me, it goes back to some of the artistry uh, that's associated with with cigar making. You know, uh, jewelry makers have a maker's mark so that you can actually, if if it's famous... You know, from someone, you know, you can actually go back and appraise things based on maker's marks and find out origin stories and things like that. Same with uh, an artist signing their painting. So I love the idea that there's kind of a code to, to really help you uncover where was this made, where did it come from, all of that stuff. Right, what year, everything like that. Just like the, you know, you can take the number off of a Browning shotgun and find out what year it was produced in what factory. No, a Gibson guitar, the same kind of thing. But I don't know that I would... I think this is a little sensationalism. They have a secret code. But basically what the stamps on the boxes were made for 
Um, it allowed factory workers, distributors, and retailers to determine information about which factory made the cigars right down to the month of a year. And, uh, and I really, I kind of like that. And uh, um, within four years of 1985, so in 1989, H.O. Amano was replaced by Totalamonte Amano. I like that. You know, we have a saying in my family that words are important. And it's just, you know, choose your words carefully because there's a very, there's a subtle difference between different choices. And, and there is a difference between made by hand and totally handmade. Oh, yeah. And I like that distinction. If you say, drive slowly, we love our kids, it's different than we love our kids, drive slowly. It, it, it's two totally different vibes come out of that. Right. And I'll... Um, in 1994, Cuban, Cuba Tobacco, the state-run tobacco monopoly, was replaced by the newly formed Habano SA. So interesting little piece of history there. I don't know that it's very useful. Number five is probably the most interesting point of this article. You can keep cigars in a sealed wrap box for longer than you think. See, it's funny because one of the things as I was reading this article that I was going to bring up that I wish they had kind of highlighted was cigar boxes are not humidors. I don't know how many people, especially when you're first getting into the hobby, people that keep cigar boxes to keep their cigars in. And unless, like it mentions here, unless it is still sealed and wrapped in that cellophane, it is not a humidor. It is not a a successful way to store your cigars. Yeah, you know, um, I see a lot of guys taking, they'll open a cigar, a box of cigars, throw a Bovita pack in there and slam the lid down and say, there, humidified. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it just don't work that way, folks. Now, here's a question for you. I have the big cabinet humidor, and I keep a couple of boxes of cigars in there. Do you keep the lids open or closed? And does it matter? Uh, It doesn't really matter. You know, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not you leave it in the cellophane or take it out of the cellophane, you know, on an individual cigar level. And I think we've talked about that on the show in the past. I, I don't think, you know, cigar o- box open or closed is going to make much of a difference unless you lose power. Well, and then it's only moderately going to slow down the de-dehumidification of, um, of your cigars. Well, so here in Tennessee, this is not as big an issue. You know, we generally run a pretty favorable humidity for cigars. Now, if you lived in Arizona, probably a different ballgame. And, and and Houston on the opposite scale. Yeah, so there's probably different ball games depending on the area you live in. Keeping cigars humidified right in Tennessee is not that difficult. During the winter, it's a little harder than during the summer. No, but my house stays just slightly drier than is optimal, but with a little bit of humidification in my humidor, I'm in good shape. You know, in my humidor, I keep the cigars in the cellophane because I don't want flavors to mix. Right. But I do keep the boxes slightly open, like don't clip them, just let them kind of breathe, unless I'm aging a cigar. If I'm aging a cigar, I'll clamp it down and let it age naturally. Yeah. And pop it open for a couple of months before I actually start smoking the cigars out of that. So it just kind of depends on on what you, what gives you the best results for your area. It's unfortunately there's no hard and fast rules. And some people, you know, one of our friends likes to smoke his cigars quite a bit damper than I like mine. I yeah. like mine a lot drier. I like mine at seventy, maybe even sixty eight. Yeah. 
at all. I feel like that's where I get the best flavor. He likes his closer to 76. I I didn't realize he was that high. Holy cow. We were smoking somebody's house the other night, and it was tough to light him. Yeah, I I definitely prefer to be right in that... uh, that 70 range you know it's a a lot of people i know cigar nerds tend to say 68's better if i'm going to vary from 70 i would much rather go towards 68 than 72 yeah the general rule of thumb 70 70 yeah 70 degrees 70 percent humidity is the the general rule of thumb that most cigar manufacturers will tell you is their recommended has there ever been a cigar manufacturer recommend an actual humidity to keep their cigars in uh, and if so, if so, when did Davidoff do it? <laughs> <laughs> they seem pretentious enough to uh, yeah, do I'm that. I'm sure. <laughs> What's interesting, though, it, from from my time in the restoration industry, there's so we use relative humidity a lot, and I'm going to do a, a very quick psychometrics lesson for for everybody. Um, you can actually look up psychometrics chart in Google or whatever, and you'll see this little one half of a logarithmic code. So. When you're talking about drying out a water damage, you're, you, you look not only at relative humidity, but also absolute humidity. So tem- humidity is relative to the temperature. That's why we say 70 and 70. It's not enough to be 70% humidity. It has to be 70% humidity at 70 degrees. We're getting towards the end of the show. I'm talking a little too fast. I'm trying not to string this out. All I'm going to say is you can actually go up to 80 degrees and down to about 58% humidity. And it's the same amount of moisture in the air. So pull up one of those charts and kind of look at where 70 and 70 is and then trace that line and see what relative humidity and temperatures also intersect that. And you'd you'd be really surprised that you can actually get away with 60 and 85, you know, 60 degrees at 85%. I just wrote another bumper sticker. The only metric system I use is 9mm and 60 ring gauge. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only metric system I choose to adopt in my life. But anyway, okay, pronounce judgment upon Juarez. I don't think I can. I know that sounds really weird, but I don't know that... I feel like it's getting a little bit... I'm only halfway through, which... You know, for a standard Toro size, I'm actually quite surprised that I've got this much left of it at the end of the show. I feel like I need to finish it before I can truly pronounce judgment. As of right now, it's about a four and a quarter. Is that good, not great? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's, it's smokable. It's, yeah, it's very smokable. And for the price, it's, for the price, I'd rather have a charter oak. But I really, it, I am starting to get a little more out of it as I get closer to the foot or to the head. So I'm I'm really hoping it goes up and, and gets another half a point in the back half. It could. It could it could climb for you and all. Well, you've got a good light on it. It's had a good even burn. Yeah. You've smoked it at the right pace. It is starting to get a little tight though. And it's it, you know, we talk about people who are full of the juices of life. I don't tend to be one of those people. But the cigar itself is absorbing a lot of those life juices today. And so it's making it get harder and harder to draw through. So I do think I'm going to have to maybe do a little bit to it uh, to kind of open it back up because the draw is getting a little bit tighter with each passing puff. 
We'll we'll have to have to get a follow up either on Facebook or on the next show as to it. So Davidoff Nicaraguan, definitely the best Davidoff I've had. Definitely that. Um, realistically, I could give it a five, and I'll, I can I can walk away from here and feel fair in giving this particular smoke a five. That's imp- all right. And I'll, it's it's not bad. Um, I'm not going. It's definitely not box worthy, especially at the price of Davidoff boxes. Right. I'm not going to rush out and buy it, but I could see how somebody, if this was the first of this price bracket of cigar I smoked, if I had never smoked a Padron, if I had never smoked an Opus, if I had never smoked a Feral Flying Pig, if I had never ventured into this price bracket and this was the first cigar I'd ventured into this price bracket, I wouldn't feel like I got ripped off. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. No, it absolutely does. Um, you know, we use Padron as a gold standard because they just are so much far and away better than everybody else right. in that price bracket. But that's not to say there aren't other good cigars that are worthy of that money. It's just... I'd almost go so far as to say that padrones are better than the money. You know, they're, oh, they, yeah. You know, they're, when you compare, other, compare them against other $20 cigars, you actually get more for your money with a padrone than, than you do with anything else. And so I definitely understand that. Yeah, if I was a novice smoker and I had been smoking Perdomo and I had been smoking Tatawahe and Rocky. things like that, Rocky, and things in that kind of lineup, and a buddy of mine said, I'm going to buy you a good cigar tonight and handed me one of these. I would not feel like, I wouldn't walk away saying, well, I could have got that out of a champagne. Right. And also, it is that good. And also, for that, I'll give it a five. All right. And uh, well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can get us by email at info at thecigarcast.com. We're on facebook.com slash thecigarcast and Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. (laughs) 